Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and joining us today is an investment advisor representative and co-owner of Boyer and Sappenfield Investment Advisors, Lisa Boyer. Thanks for coming on the show, Lisa. You're welcome. It's my pleasure and honor. Can't wait to share your story with our audience. It's a phenomenal journey. So let's just jump right in. Tell us how you got started in the industry. It's always the listener's uh, favorite question, so they get to hear all the different ways people can get here. And did you know that this was the career for you from an early age? No, I had full intentions of being a uh, PE teacher and a coach of either softball, basketball, or both. I've just always wanted to coach all my life. I actually started coaching basketball while I was playing on the basketball team in high school. Um, I was kind of like a player coach with the, with the team. So I was always going to be a PE teacher and a coach. And then my school was so small and it was in the uh, 70s. So we didn't even have very many sports. So the town next to us, my town is like 300, the town next to us with a thousand people in East Central Illinois, in the middle of farm country. Um, the guy was the, he's actually a local insurance agent. That, that's how I knew him. And he came to my parents' house and asked if I could play summer softball with them. And I was delighted because I'd been going to my brother's baseball games all my life and I love to play ball. So I went and played summer fast pitch with them um, starting my eighth grade year, my sophomore year in high school. He's like, you're going to do what I do someday. I'm like, I don't know what you do. I thought you just sell insurance or something. And he actually was the um, first CFP in Champaign County, which is where the University of Illinois is. But he was the first one in a little town of a thousand. He was that forward thinking about doing being a financial advisor. And so I'm just like, okay, you know, I didn't think much about it at that time. And then as I went to go to um, college, I wanted to go to local junior college because I did get to play college softball there and a little bit of basketball. And at that point, every small school in our area had one P teacher and they all had another 20 years left before they would leave. So I decided, let's, what else would I like to do? And I thought, I'll just get a two years business administration degree because I was very interested. My business, my dad had his own business. I'd done filing for him and was always very interested in the numbers part of it. So I did that, got to play softball, got to, you know, have a good time in junior college. And it was time to go get my bachelor's degree. And I went to Eastern Illinois University. And it was really kind of a process of elimination because I don't do marketing well. I Computers weren't really that big, you know, in our computers back then. You, you could take your semester gram on a chalkboard, exam on a chalkboard. Um, I didn't, I had already worked in retail. Um, so I knew I did not want to do management. Accounting was, um, I've got to talk to people. So it, it, the natural thing left was finance. And so I did get my finance degree from Eastern and my senior year, I had my resumes all printed, ready to go. And Bill, which is the man that I played ball for, invited me to his dinner seminar. And he gave dinner seminars. It was him and a lady advisor. Um, and this would be like 1983. And I never passed out a resume. It was May of my senior year in college. And I'm like, you're right. That's exactly what I want to do. And it was teaching people about money. So the teaching part was there. Um, and I do love numbers and stuff. So I just, uh, I always tell everybody that uh, it was 83 was quite a year for me. 1983 is kind of ways ago, but I graduated from college in May. I got married in September, started, got my investment license in September, actually also got pregnant with our first child in October. So 83 was quite the year uh, for our family. So that's how I really got into it is that 
you know, and I tell, I do a lot of mentoring and I tell people, young people all the time, if an adult tells you you'll be good at something, you should probably try it. And I just am thankful every day. We happened to lose him within three years of after I started in the industry. I'm still best friends with his daughter. And I would, I literally pick up my phone to call him for probably two to three years after, after I lost him because he was just such a mentor to me and, and such an amazing advisor also. Amazing how people imprint such important lessons for us along the way. Let's uh, let's talk about the mentoring a little bit. Um, I know that you invest a lot of time in that. You brought it up a little bit there. And you particularly spend time trying to encourage females to consider our industry. So you just said something um, um, that I found a little funny, which is that the nat- back in 83, the natural profession uh, that was left for you was finance, but there couldn't have been many women in your finance classes. And there, I know there weren't many women in our business. Um, so I think in my mind, that's a big reason why you spend so much time giving back. But tell our listeners a little bit about how you mentor young people in general, and in particular women. Yeah, again, that comes back to my natural. I mean, the older you get, the more you know who you were (laughs) and who you are, and you start appreciating all that. And from day one, I've always wanted to coach, and it just became coaching became uh, more of the mentoring because the people that made the most impact on me were both starting with sports coaches, whether they were a negative impact because they did not mentor well or with a positive impact because, again, like Bill was the kind of guy that knew exactly when you pat you on the back and when to kick you in the butt. Um, type of situation. And so I was raised also by a very strong uh, Irish Catholic woman that um, took your inventory every day and you were you had a bit of a toughness to you. So um, I'm not afraid to, when I mentor people, I'm not afraid to, in a very, you know, caring way, but to challenge them and the things that ask them why they're doing something in a certain way or or redirect them if they really need it. And you know, it's dangerous for them. But yeah, I've always done the mentoring thing. I've been very involved with, um, I've, I don't know how many different individual mentorings I've done. I've done group mentoring. Mentoring. I Probably my favorite will always be when uh, the year I was between seasons, I was done coaching junior college softball and I hadn't started coaching yet. And I drove through Iowa and said, hey, would it be okay if I would coach and, or mentor a, a group of nine to 10 female advisors that are Cambridge advisors. And to this day, it is one of the best things that I was able to experience. And I, after a year, let that group fly and they're still flying. And there are, there's a lot of rock star advisors in that young group. So it, I mean, statistically, it just didn't make sense to me ever that we never gained in 25 years. Now there has been a gain the last three to five, but for 25 years, my first 25, 30 years, I would look up every year, the statistic, and it was always 18% of advisors were female. And I'm like, how in the world can there be more electricians and lawyers and every single profession, but financial advisors? And when we're a natural at this, I mean, we are planners, we are, you know, we're caring, we, you know, I just, I never could figure it out. So I was always going to do and still will do my best to try and and bring more females, whether they're younger, older, changing careers, whatever. But I do I do my do kind of head towards the younger one, younger ones because of my coaching. One of the big obstacles, I think, for uh, that kind of person is the fear that they won't be able to have a family at the same time. So talk a little bit about how you manage that, especially in the early years and, and uh, some of the other challenges that you experienced. For instance, did a client ever hesitate to work with you because you were a woman? 
Oh yeah, there's some good stories about that. But again, it was kind of interesting because again, I, like I said, I got married in September, and um, you know, we had our first, and uh, I got licensed in '83. Between '83 to '87, I took um, all the insurance license because he did run an insurance agency, and I was supposed to do the insurance, but uh, my pregnancies kind of got me out of that, and I didn't really want to do the insurance very much, like the property and casualty. But so, um, you know, basically, I got all the insurance. I did. Um, series six to start with before I did my seven did the 63 and then I got went th- went through the CFP which was all six separate exams so from 83 to 87 as I was starting my practice I was taking all those exams and um I had our first son in 84 our second son in 86 and then our daughter in 89 so again Bill for as long as he was here he knew that I had the two boys and he always always said, you're really good at production. And that was always one of the favorite jokes that was told about me is that I was always really good at production. So um, it was actually a natural situation because I, if you get too, um, you know, anxious about trying to have so many clients and I had enough distractions that it was a good pace for me. And I was knowing that being female and having a family, it was going to take me longer and I really didn't know a lot different, but it was just going to take me longer. Bill was real honest with me. It may take you longer to get to where, say, for example, the guys are. But the other thing is that it's going to be a good pace for you to be, you know, having your family and building your business at the same time. And again, that all only happens. I have such a rare situation. I never, in the first 10 years that I did go to conferences, I did never meet another young mother female advisor, not one ever. And that a lot has to do with the fact that, again, as you know, I just, I, I'm, I'll be celebrating our 38th anniversary, you know, coming up. And there's only, there's the main reason I'm a successful advisor at the age I was is my husband never, ever questioned, you know, I would question myself and he'd say, well, do you like what you're doing? Yeah. Do you think you're helping people? Yeah. Okay. Well then why would you stop doing that? And then when I go off to a conference, I was somebody's sister or somebody's daughter or somebody's I was never the advisor. People would never think I was the advisor. So the meetings were very uncomfortable the first several years. I actually started the business when men were still actually, they were really chasing women around a pool. And it was very difficult. And then a lot of the meetings were, you know, without your spouses. And then we'd get to the meeting with the spouses. And then the wives had asked me about their husband. And all the ones that asked me should have been asking me. So that was a difficult position. Um, and then as I would call clients, because everything was done on the phone, then every Sunday night, um, my whole family knew, don't bother mom. I went in the bedroom and I shut the door and I set up, I made phone calls to my clients to, or to my prospects to set up all my appointments for the week or to do my reviews. And there would be times when I was trying to get appointments that on a phone, you can hear somebody yelling in the background. You know, I'm not working with, that's a, I'm not working. What, what's she going to know about money? And so that's why I think the dinner seminars, um, and then I also taught a non-credit course at a junior college, that's where most of our clients have all came from, those initial relationships, because it was a chance for people to see that you knew what you knew. Um, my brother and I did a lot of those together, so that made it a very family atmosphere. We have a great, we're the two middle kids out of four, so we have a great relationship. So I just think those things had gave people around us. And my husband was dragging all of his friends and his classmates. You got to, they're four years older than me. You need to come to this dinner seminar just to help my wife out because she needs to do this. Or, you know, I'd ask people, could you just come? Cause I got to have so many people come there. You know, I'd make up stuff to get them there. And just like any other time. And most people are, if they are exposed to 
what they don't know and and see that you do know that and you really are wanting to help them, you know, it was always a 90% appoint rate, a 90% client rate, it seemed like. If you could get them to, to a meeting of any kind, um, it was pretty much a done deal. So talk about your process. Uh, how your firm focuses on retirement planning a lot. I know that. Um, but walk us through you've 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 got them to the meeting to follow up on where you were just headed. Now what? How does it work? Well, and part of that's too is that when I got in the business, I told it Bill that I was gonna have reviews with all my clients every year. And he was like, Well, you can't do that. Well. I have three brothers and don't ever tell me I can't do something. I just wasn't going to do it the way people thought of. I had thought of a different way to do it during process. And I am known as, you know, my office is known as the process office because you have to be more efficient if you're going to help more people, which in our area, the average income is much lower than a lot of my colleagues. And so our process, again, once we get them there, we have done financial plans. I've done financial plans from the very first seminar I ever did. Every client that ever came, ever came to a seminar has had a financial plan. Now, that's looked different over the years, but basically it's come up with the same answers. Everybody needs to know about retirement. We always added the other services to it, the college funds, the life insurance, the you know going over health insurance, disability, those things. But in reality, that's the one thing that everybody knows that they're going to have to accomplish. So that was always a key to the plan. And then, of course, now I just do retirement income planning. My son does all the uh, plans for the younger, uh, younger folks because I just have concentrated in a certain area now. But we've got processes for everything. I think our update process and our review process is probably the strength of our business because that system, like I said, where we're going to do reviews, um, we still today to this day. I still mine are still mostly mailed out. Stands are emailed out. Every client um, either gets one or two reviews a year. We do it. I mean, we. I can tell you somebody gave me $10 in 1984 where it's been. Um, we just built that system and kept adding on to it. So we've got it. And then we follow it. I follow it with the phone call. Um, Stan, a lot of his clients, they'll want an email. Um, so that continually just letting them know. And I, I literally have clients. I went to a wedding the other day and I was a little concerned because <laughs> I think I saw a client there. But some of my clients, because I make those phone calls, and they're always welcome to come in for an appointment, but our clients are, are working class people. They're not going to take off work to come in and do that. And you also attract who you are. And I'm a delegator. I delegate. I, I don't, we don't change our oil. We don't paint our house. I just do what I do. And even in the office, I'm a delegator. And so you do attract those people. And most of my clients are like, why are you even calling me? Why don't you just do it? <laughs> And I'm like, no, because I want to see if there's other questions, which end up coming up because I do make that phone call. And they know that if they do have a financial emergency, that we have no time clock here and we'll make it work um, type of situation. So that's kind of the, the process is mainly that. And then now my clients that are retired, they want to know, well, am I going to run out of money? So we have a process that every three years we put them through a review that shows whether with their risk level, you know, if we're slipping at all to that situation. So it still comes down mostly the those processes. One of the things I have admired about you from the first day I met you is what you were just describing in terms of the delegation or the way I think of it is you do know yourself, you know what you're good at, you know what um, you like to do. 
and you've empowered people around you to tell you when to get out of the way as the owner and leader of the organization. So um, I know a lot of that is also, interestingly enough, in partnership with some family members that you've worked with, Tell, which isn't always easy working with family. <laughs> it's not always easy. It's not always easy still. So talk to us about, um, about those things, about how you've structured your office and um, the family dynamic that you've got going on. The family dynamic started a long time ago, actually, because as I started my practice and then Bill passed away, uh, there were some other advisors left in this group. And then we kind of, there was a son-in-law, there was a, uh, a nephew, and we kind of just broke apart after a while. Um, and so my practice began, began to build to the point where my biggest concern for myself and my clients was, what if something happens to you? Which is the most valid question, because I was even concerned about that. There's times that my family might think I was my clients were more important than them, which is definitely not true. But I've always been concerned about my clients because they are our friends and family. And so that's when I brought my brother again, my, my middle brother into the business. He was selling cars. He was probably the best car salesman I've ever known in my life. But it was terrible hours. He had two kids 12 months apart and he was working seven to seven, six days a week. And I and he's just got I knew he had the, the abilities and he's also a much better salesperson than I am. So I brought him into the business so that we could have that if something happened. And of course, you know, much like others, as he got into this industry, he's just a phenomenal advisor. I mean, he's one of the top advisors with RDM and he grew and he grew. So his practice grew and now it got to the point where he can't take my clients over. Um, my oldest, our oldest son had always shown interest in this industry. I'm literally from the time he was two. <laughs> so he did go to school and get a finance degree. And I actually tried to get him to go work somewhere like in St. Louis or wherever first, but the local high school, he also, we have, I should have said also my brother, Dan is the girls basketball coach and now the boys basketball coach in his town. He's in a different town now with his own practice about 15 miles away. We have the coaching disease in our family. And so my son, what happened, he graduated from college and the local high school that he played at asked him to be the assistant high school basketball coach. So he wasn't going anywhere. So he came into the office right at, you know, 22 and started um, working in our office at a very, very low salary. <laughs> Uh, had gave him lots of opportunities to work along the way. I was really concerned probably, oh, I, I don't know, we were getting about 28 years old and I'm like, oh boy, I don't know. I think he's still into, I'm not sure how this is going to work. And I knew he, you know, he had the abilities and he was good at it and it seemed like he liked it. And then, oh, about 28 or nine, he uh, ended up marrying the first girl he ever dated. <laughs> and now just had his second child, a little girl last week. So as uh, you know, he just hit a different stage in his life. And it, it, it just was amazing to watch him take and change responsibilities in, in so many ways in his life. He was always responsible. He was always at work on time, always that. But to know that, and also in this industry, you've got to get, I mean, at 22 to 28, it's very hard. I mean, I look back now and think, why in the world did I think I could do this at that age? And so, you know, and we had the time and the patience and I was willing to invest in him. And there was a lot of other things he was doing here for us. Um, and then, so it's, it's really unique now to watch him as an advisor because you can't, um, you can't really, you know, you can give them opportunities, but you don't really know how they're going to deal with their clients. And I've had colleagues before pretty much as my dad would say, go for the big fish. Um, so I didn't know Stan could have done that. He could have said, I'm only going to take clients at this level. 
And um, we started a process where anybody that just was, a, we got the point where we're having walk-ins, anybody that's called in or walked in, no matter whether they'd have $1,000 or $100,000, they were going to be his. Uh, and that's the best thing we did because he got literally both. And to watch, I got to read his plans he's written. I've got to see how he works with his clients. He has the biggest heart. He is such a good teacher that it just fills my heart that he's doing it that way. It just, it's very rewarding to have that. And now my nephew, because my brother's practice has gone so, gone so big. His son is also in his practice with him. So we've got, and he also coaches the junior high boys basketball team at his school. You definitely have the coaching disease. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just the same thing as business, especially this industry, because when you are a sports coach and you win, it's not because of you. It's because of the players. But if the team loses, it's you. So it's the same thing with the markets. You know, when the markets are doing great, you didn't do it. But when the markets go down, it's your fault. So it's, there are so many, and you can go to the same meetings and the same motivational speeches and stuff, and they're so correlated. It's just a natural fit. You think back to the early stages of your career, what do you think are one or two things that you invested time in that you think really made the difference for you? Well, I think the CFP, even like, for example, Stan studied for it and took, he actually took a year and a half of uh, studies here at Eastern Illinois. And then his best friend got married on the day of the exam. So he never got to take the exam till late. He didn't pass it. But, but even by him not being a certified by this designation, what he learned from it, and even what I learned, that CFP, those, and again, back when I took it, it was a six separate test, which was really kind of nice because you just studied for each one of them. And I only had to double on one. And I still say that has been, a cornerstone of, of that. And I've also always invested in time. It used to be magazines and I would not, I mean, it was like a job that I had to go through these magazines and I still do a lot of reading today of um, now they do the, uh, you know, the marketing where they give you a magazine and all just this description of these articles and you can go read more on them. But um, I just, I think always continuing to read and invest your time in reading so that you're always looking forward. One of my, gifts that I know that I've had in life now is my three to five year vision. There's sometimes it's been frustrating, whether it's at the church council or the school board I've been on or whatever. Sometimes I'm ahead of everybody and I get real frustrated and then, okay, here, my time it's over. And then something that I thought should happen basically happens after I'm gone, which when I was younger, that would kind of frustrate me, <laughs> but you know, now it's not about that. It's just about that things get done. And if you can see things, you know, in the future, sooner and faster, you're going to be better, better to accommodate and be more successful, I think. Yeah, you plant the seed. It doesn't matter who gets the credit for it once it gets done, to your point, right? You, yep. you, uh, you feel some pride of ownership of the idea, even though it gets executed long after you're gone. I totally understand. Well, I always get a pat on the back from my husband because he knows it. He's like, you said that three or four years ago. And I'm like, yeah, I did. <laughs> Um, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the personal side of things for you. Where do you spend your free time? Should you have any? Oh, I, well, I, one of my biggest, another thing that you realize in, later in life is that I do really only require five hours and 45 minutes of sleep. <laughs> so my average day is 18 hours and I pack, I mean, it's my Google calendar is color coded and packed and I like it that way. And then I wonder why people don't invite me to think it's because they, they got, they know I'm always got something on my schedule, I think. But um, I would say that uh, probably the things that I enjoy the most, which changes over the time, you know, I still um, enjoy my coaching, but now family is really, 
know, family's always been important, but now that the whole grandchildren, we just had our fifth. So we have five that are five and under. And right now, Grams is, well, this weekend I got nicknamed Gramsy from Sean. So Grams is silly. She's fun. You know, when they're 10, I know it's not going to be as the same. So I, and I'm lucky because our daughter lives in town with her three daughters and her husband. And then Stan, of course, works with us and he's got his two kids close. So we're so lucky to all be here. And my kids were raised with all their first cousins also. So it's nice to have that continue on. My mom's still, you know, alive and very involved in our lives and my brothers. And so just family is really important. I love to coach. Um, fitness is my daily discipline. Um, it's just, that's, that my, my kids get to the point where they'd say, if I hadn't worked out, if I got stressed, they'd go, mom, have you not worked out in a couple of days? <laughs> go do something. <laughs> they, they get to where they know you pretty well. But then again, probably my other love, which has been halted for the last two years is travel. We have we have been in several continents and um, I took a guy from Oakland, Illinois, that his whole classmates thought he would never leave the state. And I've had him all over the world to the point where now he's every other time picking the trip. So that's come a long way and we still have a list to go. Um, we're looking forward to be able to continue that list, but it's also not a bad time to be grounded with this many little ones. Uh, we, you know, with COVID, we spent a lot like once every weekend instead of or going on trips, we would just all get together as a family and and have fun and do takeout and all that kind of stuff. That's great. What was your favorite trip looking back thus far? Well, I think we don't, I don't think we'll ever beat South Africa and Kruger Park. I mean, it was just, it was six fun people and we played cards every night and we did our, we played at, stayed at five different amazing camps and just, it was just an amazing trip. That's always be our favorite. And then our second trips are different. I don't know what his second trip is. I don't, maybe it's Australia. Mine is we did a a Viking and we're not like cruise people usually like we don't do the Caribbean cruises. We actually just go to the Island if we want to go, but we did do the Viking cruise that left um, Naples, Italy and went to um, all the way down into, well, we got to Slovenia, Croatia, Montenegro and four ports in Greece. And oh my gosh, the history, the, the, I had no idea the Adriatic Sea was that beautiful. I mean, they're, those Viking trips are expensive, but there's a reason. They're just amazing. We're looking to do one up in the Northwest part of uh, Europe. And it's like, I'm trying to get as many countries I can per trip. So it's an eight country, 15 day trip. <laughs> I'm afraid to get on a cruise these days, you brave soul. Well, that would be Viking again. It's a whole different deal. I mean, they're going to be, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to get on there without your, testing every day and your ports and your, all that kind of stuff. And who knows when that'll be now, Will it be 22 or 23. It'll just be the next big trip. Yeah. Well, you've always been into adventure for sure, which is pretty much where we started at the beginning of this conversation is your adventure into financial services. Yep. Um, coming back on that note, circling back to talking about getting young women into our business. What do you think today are the top one or two obstacles and how do we convince them they can break through those obstacles? Well, I do think I have always been, I've always like, for example, asked different organizations, there is a guidance counselor uh, conference every year in July. Okay. I think that it would be important for somebody like WFS or investment news or whoever the group is to put a lot of into that to to uh, teach the guidance counselor actually what that is and why 
why it's such a great fit for young women that are just, that are very, to be honest with you, they have the social skills. You got to have the social skills and the organizational skills and some math skills. And you're not talking about it. I never even took geometry. I, I found a way, I was the only one in our school that found a way to get around it because I don't get that at all. You give me algebra, I love it. But those girls that are the leaders that math, that you know have all that, I think that that would be one way that we could really get to, you got to get to the guidance counselors. That would be one way to get to it. And then also, I don't know how they do it at the, at the college level if they're still trying to help you to do that. I think the CFP is doing a good job on their public campaign of genders. You know, they're showing a lot of women involved and in, in that type of thing. And I do think it's really, really, like I said, 25 years, it did nothing. The last, I have seen a gain in the last three to five years. And not just for young women, but finally for the minority women. I mean, you talk about being a minority, you know, a black woman in the financial advising industry was just, there was nobody. And I just know from the last couple of conferences I've went to on the like investment news side, WFS side, that again, now we're seeing a lot more of that too, which is awesome. I mean, that's what it should be. You're describing, I think what you and I have always enjoyed, there just isn't enough of it, which is a community, right? Yeah knowing that you've got the support there and, and someplace to lean on, somebody that understands what you're going through and getting that word out for sure. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty it was pretty lonely. I mean, I've got guys that are my brothers forever and they have been phenomenal and they said that they were glad they got to know me because it helped them, you know, look in, in their own areas and their own daughters and see if, well, matter of fact, two of my best friend's daughters became financial advisors, you know, so... I think that's, you know, that's part of it too, but it definitely was, it's definitely changed. And also I think we're getting the point now we're so far past some of that, that some of the younger advisors don't even have a clue how it was. And they don't have to, we don't have to drag it up and say, oh, but whoa, whoa, is me. But I am, I'm a big history person, whether it comes to the fact that we didn't get to vote or we didn't have sports or that those things have been, you know, attained over the years. Um, I think it's important to to share those heritages and, and know that we've gained from them and, and then keep going forward. Thank you for doing your part each and every day, because I know you put a lot of thought and time into this. Sometimes I don't even think you plan on it. I watch you just spin it up and start talking and start inspiring. And it's super yeah, fun. And, and you don't know, like I said, you just I just am the kind of person you've heard this happen is that somebody says something, asks me a question in a conference and I'll just say something. And next in the meeting, they come up to me crying. They changed their whole life because they were had the guts to go do something. Well, I just like to encourage others to create their own success. I have seen you do it over and over. And I thank you for being a part of the Cambridge family and uh, helping grow those individuals that you've met inside of Cambridge Nation. All coaching and mentoring fills my heart. And the older you get, the more you just want to fill your heart. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining the show, sharing a little bit of yourself with our listeners. I know that they will get significant value out of it. And I will see you soon. Yeah, I can't wait. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine, inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, 
iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app. If you like what you've heard, please give us a review and head on over to our blog for more content at CambridgeStronger.com. That's CambridgeStronger.com.